above all other options that the world gives us for you and you alone are worthy Lord we thank you for meeting with us in this space in this place at this time and we thank you for the move of your spirit that is already here so Lord as we turn our attention to your word would you speak your servants are listening we love you Lord we really do and we thank you we thank you for loving us and Jesus good and powerful name and everybody said amen. amen you may be seated thank you so much for being here today I want to say hello to all of you who are watching online and on television as well those of you in the room would you please welcome our online and television audience a few announcements as we get started uh, first if you have a Bible go to Luke chapter 12 that's where we'll be reading from here in just a moment also, next week, we're going to have uh, a blood drive here at the church. We do this regularly for Life South. It'll be out in the atrium by the tugboat, and uh, that'll be next Sunday morning from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. We know that there is a, a shortage right now, and that is a great need in our community. I even got a, a text message from Life South this morning uh, that they need that. So if you could and if you're able, please make plans to do that. Also, we have July Jam coming up on July 10th through 12th, our version of VBS. That'll be from 5 to 8 p.m. in the evening. Uh, and that'll be for rising K-5 through 6th graders. Uh, and this is a great opportunity not only for our kids to come, for you to volunteer, but also uh, to invite someone who does not have a church home to come and be a part of that as well. Uh, not only that, I want you to save the date for something on August 16th. Go ahead and just pull out your phone, just plug it in the calendar already. August 16th, we're going to be celebrating Fraser's 130th birthday on August 16th. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have a big birthday party that night over in Wesley Hall. You don't want to miss that. And we'll be looking back and also looking ahead into the future. Uh, we're also celebrating this past Sunday evening, we had our Board of Stewards meeting, and there we had 12 candidates for ministry that we affirmed, and these are people who feel called to some biblical office in some way as a minister, a deacon, or elder, and so uh, we're so excited for them. You can see details uh, that went out in the newsletter this past week, and you can read all their bios, so please be praying for them as they're on that journey. Uh, also, I uh, want to uh, say to those who maybe feel a call to global missions in some way, next Sunday we're going to have an interest meeting for our next mission trip that's going to Cuba, and that's going to be next Sunday at 1215, immediately following this service, right over here on a hallway in room 3101, so if you'd like to be a part of that, please do. Not only that, last week was a big week as well as our YWA came back from their tour. And part of, part of what we got to do last week was not only celebrate the students, but also celebrate Miss Debbie Peavy, who has faithfully served YWA for 18 years and is now will be moving on to other things that she's retiring from that particular position, but also working at Transformation Montgomery. And Debbie, I think, is here with us right over here. Miss Debbie, would you please stand up and let us celebrate you? Yes. We look forward to continuing that great legacy that she has spent two decades building. Also, I want to say thank you so much for uh, your faithful giving week in and week out. As members of Fraser, part of what we do is we pledge to give of, of the resources that God gives us. And so thank you so much for doing that. 
faithfully. You can give them the boxes in the back. You can text the number that you see on the screen as well. Well, if you do have your Bible and you are open to Luke chapter 12, if you don't mind, I'd like to read a few verses for us as we get started. So would you please stand out of respect for God's word? I'd like to read Luke 12, 49 through 53. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is, uh, at first reading, a disturbing text. I had someone come up to me and they said, Chris, I get the whole division against the mother-in-law thing. And <laughs> I said, I don't know if I'd tell your mother-in-law that. But um, at first glance, it looks disturbing. We start thinking, wait a minute, where did all the Christmas carols go and peace on earth and goodwill to men? What is, what is going on here? What is Jesus saying? And the truth is, is that this text is disturbing if, if you look at Christianity as kind of a nice code of ethics. This text is disturbing if you look at Christianity as kind of a good philosophy that gives you some antidotes for how to live life and do that moderately well. The text really is disturbing if you think the chief aim of Christianity is to make you happy in some way. If we're being truthful, we all want a Christianity that makes us happy. We want a Christianity that makes us feel comfortable or a buzzword today. We want to be affirmed, right? But if that is your version of God, then I would respectfully say that that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible drags us out of a fairy tale version of life and confronts us with honest truth. And when we are confronted with honest truth, we have to wrestle with and grapple with that truth. And one of the greatest parts of wrestling that we have to do is around two particular questions. One of the greatest struggles of our soul is around the two questions of, am I going to create my own version of God, or am I going to ask the question, what has God revealed about himself? What has God revealed about himself? That second question is very important as it pertains to Christianity because we believe we have a revealed faith. We believe in a God who has revealed himself to us. And God has revealed himself to us through creation, but supremely in Jesus Christ and clearly in Scripture. This is the claim of Hebrews 1. In Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Again, we believe that we have a revealed faith whose origin is in God himself. 
No one just came up with the faith that we have. We believe that God has self-disclosed things. He's revealed himself to the world. He did it through creation, supremely in Jesus, as Hebrew claims, and then clearly through Scripture. Now, I start here because if that is true, if Jesus is really God, meaning if Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 is really true, if Colossians 1.15 is really true, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, he is the one that put God the Father on display for all of us to see and know. If that is true, then what that means is that Jesus' words here must be considered and must be considered seriously. If Jesus is really God, then what Jesus is saying here is a possible reality for those of us who want to follow him. The context of what he says here is set up in verse 49 and 50 where he delivers and reveals this truth. And that truth is Jesus says, I've come to bring fire through a particular baptism. Verse 49, Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is Accomplished Again, what Jesus is saying is that he has come to bring fire, very important image, through a particular baptism. Now, the image of fire and baptism we see in, played out throughout Scripture. The image of fire is an image of judgment that brings about two results. Either one is purification or the other is punishment. And again, we see that throughout the whole scriptural narrative. Baptism, as Jesus is using it here, Baptism is the image of the judgment that Jesus will endure for our purification so that we do not experience punishment. The baptism that Jesus is referring to here is speaking of the baptism of the cross and the grave that he is going to go through so that you and I do not have to experience punishment. Instead, we can experience the fire of purification. And what Jesus is saying to them here, again, is the gospel message. And no, the gospel message is not, hey, I know you've done some bad things, I know you've sinned, but God kind of likes you, and so he'll kind of overlook that and, and just kind of sweep those things under the rug. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is that in Christ, the Father is saying, I will because I must judge sin, but I'm choosing not to judge sinners. I want to judge the sin, not the sinner. I want the sinner to be purified, not receive the punishment. And again, that is the gospel. So you think about places like 1 Peter 3, for example. 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Or 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Or Romans 8.3, for example. Romans 8.3, Paul writes, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemns sin in the flesh. That's why Paul would begin Romans 8 with, with, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice he does not say no condemnation in general. 
He does not say there is now no condemnation for humanity as a whole. He says, no, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Then he says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and sending him for sin. Again, this is what Jesus is communicating to the crowd once again on this day, the gospel message. He says that, yes, I've come for fire, absolutely. And it'll either lead to purification or to punishment. But I'm going to endure a baptism on your behalf so that it does not have to be punishment. It can be for your good. It can be for God's glory. It can be for your purification. So Jesus then goes into three very important subjects, not only for those hearing it in the first century, but I think this speaks volumes to us as modern Christians. Three major serious misconceptions that we have. The first misconception that we have is many times we think, particularly in the Christian South, we think, if I just follow Jesus and I read a verse or two every now and then or pray a prayer every now and then, that Jesus is going to make my life, in particular my family, just the way I want it. I hear this from people all the time. They say, well, you know, I gave my life to Jesus. I try to follow Jesus. I do the best I can. Uh, but isn't all this just supposed to work out for me? Isn't God just supposed to put back together what is broken immediately when I want it? Notice what Jesus says in verse 51. He says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. Jesus is saying there's a particular type of peace I do give. And there's a type of peace that you want that I don't give. But you need to understand that following me will create some division. The first division that we see is the division between our own sin nature and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, and then it just goes out from there. He says, no, I came. And division's coming for from now on, those are key words, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. And he says they'll be divided father against the son and son against the father, mother against the daughter, daughter against the mother, mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against the mother. He says this is how it's gonna play out. And what Jesus is doing is in complete heavenly honesty, he is saying if you believe in the baptism that I'm going to endure, the baptism that I will be baptized with, where I'm baptized in my own blood, go into a borrowed grave on your behalf, if you believe in that, it's going to create some division in your life. And the division that you're going to experience very well may be in your own family. That there will be people who do not like the fact that you Follow me, even people in your own home, he says. Jesus says it another way in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, doesn't he? Jesus is speaking one day, and someone comes up and says, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus just kind of pauses and he opens his hand and motions towards his disciples, and he says, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? Who are these people? And then he answers and he says, The one who does the will of my father. That's who my mother, my brother, and my sisters are. Again, that's just another way of saying what Jesus is saying here. Now, you may be wondering, maybe not, but you may be wondering, you know, why is Jesus having to talk about this? Is Jesus just kind of making this up, or is he just being prophetic and kind of predicting that this is what's going to happen? No. Remember, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Jesus is bringing to light 
what Micah said in Micah chapter 7. In Micah chapter 7, starting in verse 6, he says, There's coming a day when sons will treat their fathers with contempt, when daughters rise against their mother, and daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. And a man's enemy are the men of his own house. But Micah says, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. Verse 7. He says, Micah is the one prophesying that this kind of division is going to come. When the Messiah comes, he's going to divide even families because there are going to be some people who pledge their allegiance to him and some people who do not. And what Micah calls us to is to say, even in those hard, life's hardest moments when that is happening, will we dare say, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. And Jesus on this day is saying, Micah's words are coming true. They are coming true. That's why he says, for from now on in one house, it will be divided. Jesus is saying this division has now come on the scene and is going to continue until he returns. Micah's words are coming to pass and they will continue to come to pass. And as Jesus is saying this, the words of the prophet Micah are echoing in so many of their minds in that phrase, but I, I will look to the Lord. And the challenge that Jesus is giving them is that will we say that? When we have to come to that point where we have to declare our allegiance, will we say, but I will look to the Lord. So the first misconception that we have many times is that if I follow Jesus, then you know he's just going to make everything work the way I want it to. The second misconception is that the Messiah has not come. The Messiah has not come in general, and then there are two ways that this plays out, one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. But notice what Jesus says in verse 54 and 56. He also said to the crowds, he's continuing his thought, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there's going to be scorching heat. And it happens, even in Montgomery. Then he says, okay, the Montgomery part's not in there, all right? But then he says, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And the present time that Jesus is speaking of is now the Messiah has come. Now, again, this plays out in two different ways. The Jewish issue was the claim that Jesus was not the Messiah and the Messiah has not come yet, so we have to wait for the Messiah to come that lasts until today. The Gentile issue was that we don't know if there is a Messiah, but we think we have to go find our own Messiah, create our own Messiah. And since most of us are Gentiles in the room, this is our problem, isn't it? We constantly look for and search for a Savior outside of Jesus. See, when we do not see Jesus for who he is, we live with this roaming heart that always longs for and always looks for a Savior. We all do it. We want something to save us. And most of the time, that something is something temporary. It's just something to numb reality for us so that we can get through today. And then when we spend our lives chasing, what that does is we spend our lives chasing the next job or a bigger income or another social circle, whatever it is. We're just looking for something to kind of numb us on the inside, to numb our mind and heart from this longing that we have for the true Savior. So instead, we will just say, I'll take one that'll save me today. And then while we're on this pursuit for, for another savior, the appetite that grows on the inside of us is this appetite of more. We just want more. You say, more of what? Just more of more. 
We just want more and more and more until we come to that place where more does not satisfy us anymore. But remember the words of Micah. He says there's coming a day when the sons will treat their fathers with contempt. Daughters will rise against their mother and mother-in-law, or daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. A man's enemy or the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. What Jesus is claiming in this moment is that Micah's words are coming true. The God of salvation, of my salvation, total and complete salvation has now come. And whether you're Jew and you're waiting on him or you're Gentile and you're creating your own Messiah, he has now come and all you have to do is look to him and see him for who he really is. And there's only one. There's only one. And yes, the Savior saves us from hell. Absolutely. Absolutely. But on most days, the person, the enemy that we need saving from is ourselves. That's why he provides total and complete salvation, both now and in eternity. But again, the misconception many times is that, well, the Messiah hasn't come or he's not going to come and I have to go create my own. Third misconception. The third misconception is that I don't need peace with God. To put it the way Jesus does in parable form is there is no account that needs to be settled between me and God. Jesus continues in verse 57. He says, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make every effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Now again, Jesus is saying this in parable form. And what he's saying is that so many times we forget that there's an account that does need to be settled, that we have a sin debt that has to be paid, that must be paid. And again, the good news is that Jesus is the one who pays that, not that God just kind of cosmically overlooks it for our sake. Now, the atheist would say, well, I don't think I need to have peace with God because there is no such thing as God. Fair enough. The cultural Christian, cultural Christian would say, Someone who has created their own version of God, created an image of God for themselves. A cultural Christian may not say this out loud, but many times they think this way and live this way. When we forget that no, we do need peace with God. We do need reconciliation with God. We forget that so many times, even for those of us who come in here two times a week, right? We forget. We have a sin debt that separates us from the Savior. Notice what Jesus is doing in the parable. Jesus is saying, we, him and the crowd on that day, Jesus and you, Jesus and me, we, we're on our way to the judge. We're on our way. One day, there will come a day when we will stand before God. We're on our way to the judge. And Jesus says, and I am accusing you. You say, what's he accusing them of? Look at verse 56. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret. The, you know how to interpret what's going on around you, but you don't know how to interpret the present time now that the Savior has come. He's accusing them in this moment. He says, we're on our way to the judge. I'm the one that's accusing you. You are completely guilty. But Jesus is saying, there's time. 
there is time. There is time for this to be settled. You can have peace with the Father. He will hear you through me. Remember Micah 7. There's coming a day when sons will treat their fathers with contempt and daughters rise up against their mother and daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law and a man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. He will hear my case. That's another way of saying it. The judge will hear my case, Jesus is saying. And what he's saying to the crowd on this day, what he's saying to me and you, is that the Father has sent me to settle your account before you go stand before him. The Father has sent me to settle your account before you go stand before him. And the warning that he's giving is that one day it will be too late. One day it will be too late. Notice how he says it in the end. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Pay the last penny on a debt you cannot repay, Jesus says. There is a debt that you have, there's a debt that I have that we can never repay back. In fact, our righteousness, Isaiah says, the good things we do are like filthy rags before the Lord. And I hope you understand what filthy rags means in its original context. I'll explain it later if you don't. But our righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. So even the good things we do get us nowhere with God, but Jesus has said, the Father has sent me, the one who will judge you has sent me to settle this account before you go stand before him. That, my friends, is the gospel message. And what Jesus is saying to the first followers who are hearing this, the first crowd that's hearing this, what he's saying to us today is the same thing the prophets have said, same thing that Paul said, 2 Corinthians 6, 2, that today is the day for salvation. Today is the day for salvation. And Jesus is looking at this crowd and some of them are with him. Some of them are confused. They're trying to figure this out. How does all this fit and work? And he is pleading with them to say, today, there is a debt you can never repay. You can never do enough good to outweigh the bad. But I've come to settle this before you stand before him. I mentioned cultural Christianity, right? You know you're a cultural Christian if you're sitting there right now saying, man, I'm really glad Chris is preaching this. I hope so-and-so in that pew over there is listening. I think an honest response to what Jesus is saying to the crowd here in Luke 12 is, Lord, is it me? Lord, is it me? Have I bought into this lie that if I just kind of follow you and kind of do some things that look godly and pray every now, you're just supposed to fix everything in my life? Or, or God, have I totally missed that you really are the Messiah and, and I've been trying to create my own Messiah? Or God, have I forgotten the fact that peace with you matters eternally? Lord, is it me? My prayer is that would be our prayer, that in honesty, we would hear these words of Jesus and not just, oh yeah, Jesus said some hard things, or oh yeah, that's for somebody else, but just say, Lord, is it me? Have I forgotten? 
what your son has done through his baptism. So Lord, I pray for each of us. Lord, I pray that we would not believe the lie or the lies of even Christian culture that tries to get us to believe that if we just look up to you, glance up to heaven every now and then, you just fix everything. Lord, I pray that we would see that the Messiah has come. He has died for our sins in our place. And because of that, we can have peace with you. And even though this decision does not always bring peace in our lives on this earth, God, we know that there is eternal peace for each one who believes. So Lord, would you be our only vision for life? Would you be the one that we fix our eyes upon no matter the cost? And Lord, may we trust you in those hard moments when we declare our allegiance to you above all things and it seems like all hell breaks loose in our life. May we still say what Micah said so long ago, but as for me, I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation, my God will hear me. So Lord, would you hear us even now? 